Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Your podcast where you're walking along, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, what do you mean I can't do it anymore because the rules have changed? Wait a minute. I have this power now? Tonight, we are talking about, and this is a pet project of mine, something I want to do for a while, switching between system and game mechanics in a game. Now, this would be something like switching from OGL to the Palladium system, which I've done, or... Savage Worlds to OGL, or, you know, OGL to Fate, or even older systems, like I remember the old Adventurers Club magazines that did both the old Mayfair DC game and the old TSR Marvel game, both to the Hero system. Yeah, so, or the Hero system to World of Darkness. Oh, yes, and even World of Darkness to OGL that Monty Cook did a few years ago. Anyways... As I, so we've given you plenty of examples of what we're talking about tonight. Now, as I said, I did this about two years ago. I was running my Palladium campaign. It was the Robotech Nightbane mashup that I tried submitting to the Rifter. And they said, Robotech's a licensed property. Other than that, it's a great idea. So I wanted to run the characters, excuse me, in the second world setting from the, you know, the often mentioned second world source book. So what I did is I had to convert these characters... And one of them was a Nightbane, and that was not easy. If you know the Nightbane game, you know that they are very powerful beings. I had to switch them over from the Palladium stats over to OGL Pathfinder. Now, there are many, many things that you have to look at when you are converting characters between mechanics. Now, but Shouldn't we talk about why, more about why you would do it? Well, yeah, yeah, we, we discussed this before. The reason I just gave. You're changing settings, and it may be a temporal setting, like you're going from the future or modern to the past or vice versa, or a totally different dimension. Like I was going from, well, the Palladium universe, the Megaverse, to the second world setting. So setting changes are often a reason why you would change from one dynamic to another. Right. So you want to bring characters that have been built under another system into a different setting where which which uses a different system because it's that it's what you're using and in that system it says thing it has things that like oh well this has a has a DC toughness or this has you know you know a certain weight or encumbrance or you know there are certain skills that are available that was in this new setting that weren't available in the old setting and there's no necessarily direct analog Yes. So, you know, and especially when it comes to equipment, because, you know, if you're playing any kind of a modern day setting and you're going into the past or into a into a fantasy setting, then you might want to bring your AK-47. You might want to bring your flamethrower or your um, even your walkie talkies. You know, how do you deal you know, with a or something that does an electrical discharge like a taser? OK, what's the analog? How do you. And, and, and are you going to be able to use them the same way as you did before? You know, are you going from two, uh, two second rounds to six second rounds? And does that make a difference? So, you know, that's, you know, that, that kind of movement can, uh, can generate a, a need to, to say, look, we can't play both at the same time. So we need to convert from one to the other. Yes. Uh, that was something that I had to deal with with the OGL to Palladium switch. OGL Pathfinder 3.0, 3.5, their rounds are six seconds long. In the Palladium Megaversal setting, Rifts, Heroes Unlimited, Nightbane, they're 15 seconds long. So you have to convert, okay, how do powers work? How do, you know, um, attack actions work, uh, movement rates, because for OGL, it's most characters, medium-sized characters, normal human-sized characters, move can, can move 30 feet in 15 seconds. In Palladium, right. you have your speed stat, which is speed times 20 equals the yards or meters that you can move in one minute, which would be 10 rounds. So yeah, you have to convert all that 
So, yeah, you may... Something in that other setting, it might be easier or harder to do, so you have to work through all the various calculations to make sure that the characters line up reasonably well. Right. And, Bruce, and it can... It, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and you can't... You wanted to continue on this point, go ahead. I was going to say, you had the other reason why. Um, I'm not quite sure which one that was. Uh, I was just going to say that it, it also makes a huge difference tactically, because... If you're playing a game where you have two second rounds, you know you can do like one simple thing, and you might be able. Uh, you're certainly not going to pick a lock in a round, and you might be able to move 15, 20 feet. Okay, at the most, because you know unless you're like moving that way because you're in a car that's moving. But then if you, but then your rounds are 15 seconds to 30 seconds, or even in first edition D and D, a whole minute long. Well, now you, you could be doing all kinds of stuff. You can pick you can pick a lock and a round. You can move half the length of a football field. Uh, you can, uh, you know, you can start a fire. You can do all kinds of crazy things that you would not be able to do just because of that. And, and because of that, you can change things tactically about how you're go going to run combat and other things. Because in a, in a round, you know, you can move all the way around. You could, like... Um, what's the term? Blank your opponents uh, during that period of time. You know, if, if you can somehow get for them not see you do it. Well, and in even six second rounds, there's no way you're going to be able to do get around like that. Yeah, usually that, as I said, time is different in each mechanic. How long it would take you to quote unquote do an action? So yeah, you have to take in that into account when you're switching settings and plan accordingly. Bruce came up with the other reason before we started taping was. An addition change. Oh, right. Such as when in 2000, when second edition changed over to third edition, Skip Williams came up with the conversion guide for that. Then when they did 3 to 3.5, Wizards of the Coast put out a bunch of PDFs for each book. 3.5, Paizo, when they started Pathfinder, the conversion PDF for that is still on the site. There's conversion. If you go out and look and put even type up OGL to Savage Worlds conversion. Pinnacle put out an official converting D20 to Savage Worlds. It's a one-page thing. You can convert characters from one to the other, and it's all on one page. It's that easy. So, but as far as addition changes within a game, as I said, second to third or third to fourth, well, there was no third to fourth. We discussed that too. But usually when I was running Star Wars D20 and it was still the first edition. Well, when the prequel movies came out, they decided to put out a second edition and of course all new books. So a few things were updated like the force powers and whatnot. So I had to upgrade the characters. Pathfinder is coming out with a second edition for their game this year. It'll probably be out the full... Um, the playtest is out now if you go to Paizo. The full-blown playtest will probably be, as I said, usually... Paizo usually brings their stuff out the weekend at Gen Con. So many people, if they roleplay in the Pathfinder world of Galarian, they'll want to transfer their characters because I noticed I looked at it. It's very Galarian specific. Needless to say, I'm not going to be transferring over because I don't run my games in, excuse me, the base setting of Pathfinder, the world of Galarian. But that is a reason why you would change mechanics if only due to an addition change. And one of the reasons that, that seems, it seems a little odd, but sometimes you do it because of money, because you want to, you know, when the D20 bonanza happened, everybody, you know, said, hey, let's come out with a D20 version of our product. Yes. So that oh, we can... God, yes. And and Trav there basically, you know, I... I he, he, he basically uh, dug himself a very deep hole and filled it in on top of himself. Yeah, oh no, the whole folders upon folders gag at the weekend of Rich's wedding, yes. And there and trust me, there is some money that I regret. What's that term? Buyer's remorse. <laughs> <laughs> well, there had to be with so many. Well, yeah. oh no, they just, they're, when that whole thing blew up, when the OGL first started in 2000, it's that saying, everybody and their grandmother... Yeah, everybody who could put out something. And there were a lot of D20 conversions of game. And just some were good, some not so much. And so everybody converted and it was that glut. Just everybody moved to this mechanic because they realized, hey, my favorite setting is now this. Yeah, let's work this. And, you know, it was either very good or a lot of people were disappointed with like, no, my character can't do that. That's not even in that show, you know. So, so yes, there was there. Those are usually the two reasons that you would see either a setting change, 
or an edition change. And if they're kind, they'll give you the translation. Heck, I remember when Star Wars D20 first came out. In the back of the book, the core rulebook, they gave you the conversion from the old West End D6 system. And so, there was one, there was one company that almost put themselves out of business by do, trying to do conversions for every other game that was out there, and uh, people took them to task for IP uh, infringement. Oh, geez, yeah, you can't be doing that. Oh, no, 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 Kevin Sambita, his offices are down the road from me. He put flat out on his website, if I catch anyone trying to sell a Palladium to OGL conversion in any way, yeah, he warned of legal action. I found two netbooks that converted OGL and ripped. They were netbooks, which means you could get them free on the net. So as right. long as you weren't selling them, you were fine. Well, this this company that did it is 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 now known as Wizards of the Coast. They almost went out of business because of that, and they were very poor for old, quite a while. And uh, but then they 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 put out this magic card game, and yeah. things got better. Yeah, I kind of figured that that was their saving grace. Well, it's kind of why I call Wizards the Microsoft of gaming. Oh, magic! Oh, it destroyed the gaming industry. Oh God, you know all these role playing game companies, and then oh, we brought out the OGL. The role playing game company is saved. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, yes, I've given Wizards plenty of money, but I did see that, and I'm just like, uh, yeah, I see what you did there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, no, I didn't uh, know I'm, that they did that with but, other know. people's intellectual properties. That well, you know, they thought of it as a, as a great service to the gaming community because that way, you know, you could move, you know, move your character to other people's games and therefore you'd buy those other people's games. They never saw it as a, oh, well, then, you know, if, if, if I can bring all the, the other people's game stuff into this game, then there's no reason for me to ever leave this game. I'll just bring other stuff in. Um, I mean, they they didn't see it as as a as a bad thing, and and it wasn't a bad thing really. It was just they did it without permission. Right. That was the main thing. So uh, I mean, you really can't you cannot the infringement wasn't really on the system per se because though you know as we know uh, TSR tried to uh, tried to copyright the word orc and a number of other things you know, so um, like hit points. But you can't copyright a system because, you know, charts and things like that are not copyrightable. But you can copyright a setting um, and, you know, a look and feel kind of thing. That's That was pretty much where they were working for. So everybody was like, you know, they, they really felt like their stuff had just been grabbed by people who didn't appreciate, you know, the fine qualities that they had. And so, as a result, you know, we have a, you know, they 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 got brought to court. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, was I, I was not aware of that that they'd even tried that. It must have been yeah. buried under the radar because yeah, this is it's a long time ago. ago. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, I might have been involved in another system where I wasn't around because I we skipped second edition in our old gaming group. Yeah, we did the first edition, yeah. you know, back in the day each but. Then when our gaming group got together, we did, let's see, Marvel Superheroes, Palladium, Tried, World of Darkness. But we never touched, uh, Hero System was a big one, but we never touched Second Edition D&D. We just never did it. And then all of us, you know, on our own ended up going to Third Edition. So yeah, that must have been in the time where we weren't there involved with early Wizards, uh -huh. where we just didn't well hear about it. Well, Bash of the Gathering came out in 1993, so, I mean, most of the people that we're talking to right now, you know, weren't even born then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, 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 it was, it, it was a, an important thing that happened, you know, but it was a very long time ago. So it's certainly nobody who's at Wizards now, except perhaps stockholders, uh, you know, were any way involved in that. And like, again, as I said, they didn't see it as a bad thing. They thought they were doing a service to yeah. To the community, and uh, and you know, people like Kevin said, uh, "No, you're not doing me a service." Yeah. <laughs> so he, if anything, I don't know who was at the forefront of, of taking him to court, but I would not be surprised you know, if it wasn't Kevin and and the people at TSR. So, but anyways, that 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 happened. Yeah. Um, okay. So we the two major ways we've discussed why you would switch game mechanics right i mean i do it just as a mental exercise just oh let's see what this character would do but that's just it that's just you know me keeping the gray matter going and it, it works a lot of times and the one thing and bruce and i did talk about this before 
Obviously, no system is going to translate perfectly. There are certain things that are just going to be, as the term goes, lost in translation. Right. Well, so, some people would say they shouldn't. Yeah. They shouldn't I mean, translate perfectly because not every game is equivalent. Yes. If you're going to translate over from, let's say, a fantasy, sword and sorcery fantasy game to a superhero setting. Right. There's going to be something lost in translation. So there well, is the term that is used eyeballing, uh. where you kind of look at it and you're not going for a literal translation. And for someone like me, that 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 is kind of like, you know, so you have to go for the feel of the character would be the best way to describe it. Right. Well, yeah, and, and look and feel, right. Because, you know, a lot of people after the D20, they start you know, they started rebelling against it, saying, hey, we don't want, you know, we, we, we didn't buy into GURPS, who's, you know, which wasn't the very first universal you know, system, TriTac and probably Palladian, you know, can, can lay that claim. Certainly TriTac could. But they uh, they said, look, a game needs to be supported by a system that promotes the things that the game is about. So you have a game that's a, uh, a, a close squad uh, combat game like D&D. Okay, it's not going to convert well to Call, uh, Call of Cthulhu, which is body horror and and a lot of horror and which re, which requires characters being vulnerable and in a lot of cases weak while in D&D the whole point of the game is to make yourself the biggest strongest baddest SOB on the block yeah so you know moving going from one setting to another you have to be careful because you have to say what are we trying to achieve here we're not just translating the the fiddly bits you know strength to strength or you know or uh you know vigor to in savage worlds vigor to con you know we're doing something more than that and so that's why it's hard to make that conversion over but you need to do it because you you shouldn't just go and plug and play i tried to do that back in the day i mean i i, was, I tried to say i, I want to bring my you know, a D and D type character into uh, um, in, into Tritax. So I said, "Well, see, Tritax zero to twenty, and D and D is three to eighteen. So I just have to come up with a numerical, you know, adjustment to you know to bring it up to be you know what it should be, and didn't work out. That 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 did that was not an easy translation to do, because if you have a a twenty strength in in uh, Tritax." That is not the same thing as a uh, eighteen uh, double zero strength in in, in D and D. Well, see, you're, the, good, you're... the good thing about strength stats, yeah. Now it's the other all the other stats you have to kind of sit there and eyeball. Strength you can just translate to weight. What can they lift? What would be that number? And most of the time, it's close. There's a little bit of problems with Palladium. When you get to 16 and above, you get that instead of, oh, it's your score times 20. And as soon as you hit 16, oh, it's now your score times 50. So there is that little bit like, I think it's, I'm trying to remember the exact strength score. I want to say it's like 14 or 15 in, in the 3D6 range where, okay, that's where it starts getting wonky, where it gets into that super, that, that enhanced strength and palladium. Right. Well, but, it happens in any game system, that there's going to be some place where... You might it, be off a, by about 5 or 10 pounds, but you can lift generally the same weight. Right. Well, that's one of the things that's... And, and by looking at that, I'm saying is, is that you, you find out that 20 is actually nowhere near 1800. Yeah. You know, it's more like 16. So it makes the math very. Uh, so if you so you end up basically coming up with well, if you've got a 16 in in D and D, you have a as I say an 18 or a 19 in Tritac, and if you've got 18 double zero, then you better have like a 25 or 30 strength yeah. in Tritac, and or you know GURPS or whatever else system that you're going to use. And it, it gets even more difficult uh, when you're um, when you're trying to do things like combat because in a game like D&D, where you have a D20 where you add pips to, depending upon your bonuses, it's pretty straightforward as to successes and failures. But when you're rolling 3D6, 
as you do in GURPS, that's a whole different distribution. And it, and, and those pips might be more valuable or less valuable uh, because, the, because 3D6 forces everything into the center. So that means that a little bit of off the midline, a little bit off 10 is actually a success. And like 14 is like a huge success. While in D&D, that would never, it would never be like that. So again, you have to look at the systems and... Uh, and that's where, uh, when you're when you're trying to do these kinds of things, you've got to do a ton of playtesting. You have to say, okay, so this character should is it should be able to do this successfully. And that's what I would do. I would start off with my success cases. I would say things like, you know, what is uh, I'm supposed to be able to do this like 50% of the time. So what do I need in this system? to be able to succeed 50% of the time, you know, when I'm trying to think, figure out how to do the conversion. Okay. So you, 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 you do, your, you do your, your successes, your failures, and then you start looking at the edge cases. Don't look at the edge cases first. You'll go crazy. <laughs> there's, there's way too many of them. Okay. But um, uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, ju I'm just noticing that. Yeah, as far as doing the eyeballing, as I said, you're, you're, you have to take things into account, like character background, the feel. What is it that they do? What is the character's purpose? What is it that they're good at? Because when you and, and I made the list. I mean, it's no Bruce Sheffer outline. But, you know, it was a list I whipped up while I was at work at lunch and just going, okay, these are the things I deal with when I have to convert characters over. And it's things like your classes, your races, your abilities or stats, you know, your physical scores like strength, dex, con, skills, feats, talents, and knacks. And that covers all the things that are just things you can do that don't fluctuate like a skill does. Like danger sense or point-blank shot for OGL. Uh, power spells and what D20 Modern calls FX abilities. Anything that takes something off the scale of a normal game where, yeah, if you're just normal characters, you could be playing a, a police procedural show, but all of a sudden psychic powers are involved and you've gone to the X-File. Equipment and levels and experience, because the OGL system, unless you count in epic levels, goes to 20. Mm -hmm. Palladium goes to 15. So you would figure that a 20th level character would be equivalent to a 15th level character in Palladium. Well then, you kind of have to eyeball, and of course you can do the math, 20 goes into 15 and then just, you know, for one, say, okay, well, multiply or divide it by this figure, and this is what the, the character would be what level in this new system. You could do that. Um, because I'd figured it out, like, as I said, converting those OGL characters over to Palladium, I had to, okay, well, this guy, it, it meshes out where he's halfway between 8th and ninth level. So you look at, let's say, the experience chart in Pathfinder, and you're like, okay, well, then he would have about this many experience points. And then I would have, okay, now that i figured out what level he is, what is it that he can do? We had one character in the Saturday game. He was a gang member but he had an unstable genetic structure which made him into the hyper-muscular brick. So, yeah, he had basically street thug skills. And then I had to sit there and whip up, okay, how how strong is he? How tough is he? Um, you know, what type of uh, damage reduction would he have for his skin? How much can he lift? Can he, you know, how far can he throw a certain object? That had to be taken into account. And... There are certain classes which are superhero classes. And now you could go that route or you could go, well, I'll deal with the powers and just give them, you know, street tough class if there's one. So that's something else you got to look into. And so, yeah, there, there, there are many things you have to look at as far as gaining to finding the feel for the character. Let's say you wanted to make the, the old standby. Fantasy Wizard gets shunted to modern day. Now with most of pathfinder now they they're starting to get enough where it's straight translation and as i said the second world source book is really good for ogl multi-genre role-playing but let's say you're doing second edition DD to savage worlds okay that's gonna i mean you could go second to third edition third edition to savage worlds that's a rules translation but something might get lost in that translation because you're going too literal so that's where this eyeballing comes in and let's say a wizard Okay, let me give another example of wizards and how they are. In D&D, &D, OGL Pathfinder, the book-learning arcane spellcaster is the wizard. The inborn magical spellcaster is a sorcerer. Now, in 
the modern Palladium games like Nightbane, the wizard would be known as a sorcerer, the sorcerer would be known as a mystic. But the classes are essentially the same. One has book-learned magical abilities, the other has inborn magical abilities. They don't have to study, it just comes to them. Or they may have a genetic predisposition. So the classes might be different, even though certain names may be similar. And with the classes, you have to deal with, um, and this is something I noticed in Palladium. In OGL, you build up throughout you gaining the levels. You have the class features, which, oh, look, like a rogue. Oh, I have sneak attack 1d6 and uh, trap binding. Oh, look, level 2, I gain a talent. Oh, level 3, my sneak attack goes up to 2d6. In the Palladium system, it's what my one friend, Damien Magecraft, hey Damien, calls front-loaded. Where you might get a bunch of abilities right off the bat, and then the percentiles just go up like a certain amount each level. Like, let's say, mm -hmm. 56 plus 3% per level. So at second level, it goes to 59, then 62, 65, so on and so forth. So you have to figure out also, okay... Like, like Bruce said, if I can do this so 75% of the time, well, then that would make me, oh, let's say a 5th level character. But then you realize, well, I know my character is higher than 5th level. So, there, these are a lot of things you got to take into account. Sometimes level translations may not go over, or you have to hand wave it and just say, well, due to the mechanics of this dimension, you know, luck is on my side and I can do the things a little better. There... Like we said, there's no exact, there's never going to be an exact translation. You're always going to have something a little different when you cross that dimensional boundary mechanics-wide. Or even if it's the same, you know, from, let's say, second to third edition. It's about, I think, about a 10-page PDF that goes into how armor class is done, how the skills are done, this new thing called feats, uh, how the magic items were changed over. Uh, how to convert monsters over. They had to do that also 3.5 to uh, Pathfinder because they got rid of things like... Um, that's one of the things I love about Pathfinder. Uh, Bruce, you remember 3.0, 3.5 when spellcasters got to make magic items? They took an experience point hit? Yeah, that's I hated that. I, yeah. I, that. That never worked for me. That <laughs> That is so gone in Pathfinder and that was one of the things I love about it. It's like, yeah, your spellcasters, yeah, they're sitting there making magic items and they're basically putting their own life force into making these magic items because they're usually making the magic items for the people el other people in the party to protect you since you're now a little weaker than they are i'll make you this magic sword to help you kill things better so i have enough time to cast that fireball i just don't want them to get to me because if it gets to me you don't get any more magic items and i was like it's kind of a you know, it's kind of a nerfing the spellcasters there, the wizards and the clerics and just, yeah. When I found out that they got rid of that, that was my main selling. And I don't play very many spellcasters, but I know I have enough people in my games who do. And when they found out, wait a minute, there's no experience point hit? It's like, no. But then it comes up when, let's say, you lose an animal companion. And it says, oh, you have to take this many experience points and all this. I just, I'm like, nope, you get a negative level, which is like a minus one to all your rolls and a minus five to your current hit point total. Make the saving throw and you might be able to shrug off that negative level. So yeah, there was, you know, there are certain things that you like, but certain things you don't like. And you kind of have to take the good and the bad with mechanics changes. Let's see, classes, races, human is a human is a human. The problem you have with races, let's say the race isn't in the new setting. You have to come up and make up a whole new race. Now, that is going to be in more in the realm of an experienced GM. If you're trying to make, let, let's say, okay, I'll use, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this example a lot. Let's get this right on, on the table now. OGL and Palladium, I'm just going to use that because that's what I'm familiar with. There are no halflings in the Palladium games at all. So let's say I want to bring over a halfling thief from Faerun and put him in Rifts. I have to make up the halfling race because I, I've checked. There is... They have gnomes. Now, gnomes are only in the Palladium fantasy game. They don't talk about them anywhere else. In the conversion book, they say, yeah, there is a small community of gnomes somewhere on Rift's Earth, but they tend to be a very shy race anyway, so there aren't very many of them. But there are no halflings. So if you want to bring a halfling into a game that doesn't have halflings, you're going to have to make up the racial stat yourself, and kind of, it's going to be eyeballing again. Okay, they're good with stealth. They're good with, you know, thieving-type skills because of their size and their nimbleness. 
because they're considered lucky, they might get bonuses on saves, okay? How would that translate over to Palladium? Because Palladium, their saving throws are more for... I don't think they have a reflex for much. They got fortitude and will save, so you'd have to say, okay, they get a plus one, like, against poison and toxin and disease and spell and ritual magic. Usually... yeah, was, there was a uh, a system that was pr- put out by a, a people that, that basically they were o- an offshoot uh, of Arduin Grimar. Do you remember that game? What is the name of the game? Arduin Grimar. Nope, never heard of it. Uh, Grimoire is is of course a book. Yeah. Ar- Arduin was I don't know I guess it was their 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 world. Anyways, uh, it was an early it was an early RPG game and. These guys started producing their uh, own, uh, basically, articles. Basically, it was a little gaming magazine. Yeah. Uh, And uh, they said, well, we're going to put out our own game rules. And so they started talking about, you know, one of the things that they talked about was uh, size uh, differences in the area of of damage. So they would say, all right, you're a, a character, and you, you know, you've got a sword, but you're only the size of Pixie. So what kind of damage do you really do? And they had some elaborate charts uh, and some formulas, but it actually was a pretty good, I thought it was a pretty good representation where, you know, at most you could do would be like one point of damage because you're the size of a pixie. And a pixie in this case is something that's like, you know, at most six inches tall. Like Tinkerbell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and of course, as soon as you realize that, then you start saying, well, these people, if, I mean, if all they do is deal with other pixie-sized characters, then yeah, they're going to keep doing what they're doing, you know, just like they do in um, uh, Mouse Guard. But if you're dealing with people who are man-sized or greater, now, okay, that's going to change, again, tactics change. Now we start thinking about poison, and if you remember D and D, things like sylphs and and little tiny things like that, they would they would use poisons, sleep yeah. poisons, other kinds of poisons, because it made sense that they wouldn't be able to do any really effective damage to you, but they could poison you and therefore get the same, even greater effect by doing that. Uh, and you know, or they had to go the opposite route, which is say, well, magic doesn't care what how, how big you are. And that you would then, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you then use magic to, to uh, you know, do like fireballs and, any, and lightning bolts and all those things. You, you might be the size of, of a, uh, a dragonfly, but that doesn't change how much power you can force out. Well, yeah, a, a, or you... a six-level pixie sorcerer is still going to cast the same type of fireball as a six-level human sorcerer. It doesn't matter the size of the caster; they're still going to cast that sixty-six fireball. Right, but if you use that, if you're using those kinds of rules in your game, and you're trying to be quote realistic, you know, then you may find that a character that you had in a previous edition is completely unworkable now. Yeah, you know, they might not be able to do anything, and and I've always thought that they that the damage the small creatures did was way too high. But I understood they had to do it, otherwise there would be no way that you'd ever play those characters. You wouldn't play a halfling if he, you know, because he's one-eighth the size of a, of a normal human, therefore should do like one-eighth the damage, you know, yeah. because this, his strength should be relatively about the same. Well, I, I mean, they do take into account for OGL and size. I think it's for a small-sized creature, which halflings and gnomes are, your, like, carrying capacity is half the strength. And uh-huh. for a large, like, let's say an ogre, I think it's times one and a half. So mm-hmm. if you have 18, if all three, the halfling, the human, the ogre, all have 18 strengths, they're going to do different damage because small, medium, and large, small does 1d2 with an unarmed strike, 1d3 for a medium, and I think 1d6 for a large. And then you just add the strength modifier. But also, they all lift different size. They all can lift different weights. An 18 strength for a halfling is not the same for an 18 strength for that ogre. The carrying capacity is much greater. So they have that multiplier and divider there under the encumbrance rules in, like, the core rulebook for Pathfinder. So, Uh yeah, they took that into account. Yeah, as far as, like, pixie 6-inch, that would be fine. Yeah, they do one point of damage of that. I think the minimum point damage you can do is one hit point, even if you've got, like, if you're... that's what's in D and D. They say the the if you do damage at all, you have to do at least one hit point. Yeah, 
Yeah, so they, they basically, you know, hand-waved it. Now, the interesting thing was you, you had that drop-off because of size, you know, and because of the inverse square law. It also worked the other way. So somebody who was only one, who's seven foot tall versus six foot tall did a lot more damage, okay? And it went up. So somebody who was literally this giant size, he they weren't doing like a, a, a plus seven damage or a, a plus... 10 damage they were doing like a plus 30 damage plus 50 damage because they were literally they they were so huge that they had so much mass behind them that you know either their weapons were correspondingly bigger or they could just put more oomph behind it well yeah you know, to, with, with um let's say a colossal against a medium the fist of a colossal sized person would it does like four or five d6 plus the strength modifier, as opposed to 1d3. That's why that medium person, he's going to get in there and punch that guy in the ankle, and that colossal, he's going to look down and go, what? Because he's not going to feel it. Or it'll mm -hmm. be such a small amount of hit points, it would be like me walking up to you and flicking in the arm. That's about the, the relative feeling of what it would be to them. And they look and right. they just lift that foot up and, you know. But yeah, size does come into play, and as right. far as scale. But if you're trying to play a heroic game, you don't want it... To, you don't want it to be realistic in that regard. You want the person who's only man size to be able to whack that colossus, and that colossus is going to know he was whacked. Yeah. So you know you 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 end up either downgrading the the defenses of the colossus, or you upgrade the amount of damage that the uh, that that the man size or you know the, the uh, person can do, and you know it just depends on what you're trying to achieve in your game. So that's, again, why certain systems are not good choices, because if you're playing a fantasy game where everything is fantasy violence and fantasy results, you don't want to play, you know, uh, uh, Twilight 2000 or uh, Millennium, uh, Millennium's End, where they're literally trying to do the best they can to model, you know, the reality that we uh, in the 20th century and 21st century think is true. So it's it's going to be hard to do that. And a lot of times people, when they come over from the other systems, are going to have to, if you are going to use that system, you're going to say, okay, but your character's not going to be like it was. You're going to have to change how you do things because some things are going to be far more effective than they were before, and other things are going to be, like, pointless. Yeah, that's when you bring in you know, the hand-waving or the, what was it that Eric the Enabler called it, the axiomatic ship, where just, well, the universe works differently in this one than it does in this other one, so you may, you know, your spells may be a little more powerful, they may be a little less powerful, you know, your, you might be able to run a little faster than you would in the old world, you know, things like that. You can just, in-game, you explain it as some type of cosmic shift in in the balance of things and usually right. that that's good and they're like okay fine uh let's see clases clases that's race and class together folks abilities <laughs> and stats okay uh, strength dex con intelligence wisdom charisma stamina vigor health whatever you want to call them the numerical scores that define your character's physical and mental abilities now, strength or strength, we already discussed. If you do the math, you can usually come up with a general, very close equivalent. It's where you're getting into the other scores that either have to do math or you do the range like, oh, let's say 10 to 11 in Pathfinder is considered normal human average. And let's say in this system over here, they go from a scale of 1 to 5. So a 10 to 11 here in OGL would be a 3 in this new system. So you have normal agility and dexterity for a human. Again, it's eyeballing. You're not going to have that exact... It, it just... You have to go by what the character is about. Now, right. if you have the spellcaster that... Yeah, he's... You know, he may be clumsy, but once he gets that fireball off... You know, you're you're free-floating atoms. Right. Okay. If, well, you're, if, you're, if your system uses dex as a means of determining success in spellcasting and also uses decks in terms of like shooting bows and arrows and stuff, then 
you you'll run you run to a very different situation than if you say, oh no, you know, another system where it's like, oh well, you know, my failure depends upon my intelligence versus the difficulty, the level of the spell, and Dex has nothing to do with it. Well, let's say if if um, it has to do with how you gesticulate, how you do your somatic components and all that, and that might be you know hand-eye coordination. Oh, I have to get my finger to move just right in this way. Yeah, I could see where dex would be, your dex score would help you out. I mean, that, that probably wasn't a good example. I was trying to go down a certain road and just... But as far as that spellcaster, he may be clumsy, but he's good with spells. Then you have to figure, okay, he's got a low dex, but let's say your spells are off of, oh, mental fortitude. Whatever stat you would use for mental fortitude. For D&D, probably wisdom. So he may have a high mental fortitude, but a low dex. Well, then his agility might be, you know, again, we'll use the 1 to 5 scale. Let's say his dex is like an 8. Okay, well, then you might give him that 2 agility, but let's say he's got a 17 wisdom. Okay, that's up there 4, maybe 5. As I said, I'm just using an arbitrary 1 to 5 scale here for whatever fill-in-the-blank new system. So yeah, he might have his mental fortitude. He might have incredible spell casting ability, incredible willpower and focus where not a lot distracts him. When he gets locked onto something, you know, it's like, you know, autistic hyperfocus, where he is so into it that you walk up behind him and you'll scare him because he's just... So intent on doing that job. So yeah, abilities and stats, eyeballing is essential there. Because other than strength, you have to guess what is the character like. Is this character an intelligent character? Is he a character that could slog through a hundred degree heat, you know, wearing full combat gear and, you know, trudge for hours on end? If so, he would have a high health or con or stamina or vigor, whatever you call it. But he might not. You might need to split off those aspects away from the attributes. For example, if you had somebody who was just able to carry an, un, you know, an unbelievable amount of weight, okay, like one of those Sherpas that they go up the Everest, they can yeah. easily carry 200 pounds on their backs. Normal people can't do that. Now, if you take a look at a Sherpa, you know that they, they do not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, no, you know, no. It, the, the, the Sherpas of Bhutan and Nepal are, if you're lucky, maybe 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, they're not all that big, and they're not all that husky. Right. So what you'd have to do, what you might need to do in, in that game or that system is split it off in some way that it doesn't, you don't have to inflate their scores in order for them to be able to do it. So, for example, you if the, if your system includes the idea of a feats, you might say they have the you know um, the, the the heavy loader feat, which allows them to instead of yeah. multiply their strength times five times ten, and then there's the advanced heavy loader feat, which makes them able to take their strength times twenty, so they can carry these un, unbelievable high amounts, and that way you don't suddenly have somebody who's also if you're using strength as your you know to hit modifier they're not suddenly also combat monsters yeah, right. just yeah. because they can carry a lot of weight well also okay. there's a lot of stats which in one game might mean one thing but in another game they might have two stats with the same thing like okay ogl dex dex pretty much covers anything agility hand-eye coordination all that. Let's say you can't hold a knife, but you're a master gymnast. Okay, you're going to end up having to make the sacrifice of, okay, this guy, yeah, he's got a low agility, dexterity, feet, or stat, but you may have to dump all those points into acrobatics or tumble or whatever and yeah. say, yeah, this guy couldn't shoot a gun to save his life, but you get him on a combat field and he'll bounce all over the place and you'll never hit him. Because he's yeah. too busy doing cartwheels in between the enemies and everything. But don't yeah, expect him to fight. This know? is one of the reasons why I prefer attribute plus skill. Uh, yeah. Because that way you can have a relatively reasonable attribute for, you know, just everyday abilities of, of, of dexterity or agility. But then by by putting an emphasis on the skill that yes, they could be really, really good. They could be like, you know, really good shooters or they could do acrobatics without, you know, and therefore making them independent of each other. So, you know, that by, you have a baseline that you're not going to fall below because you have that attribute. Somebody who's, 
You're not gonna you're not gonna have the ridiculous situation of somebody who uh, you know unless they have a disease or something, somebody who literally you know can't throw a piece of trash into a trash can three feet away from them because you know they're just always gonna miss. Yet at the same time, be able to do a double back somersault in place. You know th- that's a little ridiculous. Okay. But to say, all right, well, they have like you know an average ability, so they can throw the thing into the trash can. Things that people normally can do, you know, uh, they can fire a dart pistol 10, 15 feet with reasonable accuracy. Okay, but this other area where they're really good at, they put a lot of effort into learning. They can excel there without. I don't want to use the word polluting without boosting other things just because they happen to have that. Uh, so that's why I like those systems usually better than other systems. But, you know, you, you do sometimes run into these weird situations where you want to give somebody a special ability that they otherwise would not have, at, at, especially at low level. And the way to do that is with feats, where you basically say, they've got it. You know, they, they, they're really good at it. And they didn't have to get a level 20 or 30 or whatever to be able to do it. It just comes with the territory. It just comes with who they are, like dwarven engineering to be able to like tell, look at stonework and tell you how old it is and whether or not there's a secret door there. They just do that. At first level, they can do that. Yeah. It doesn't get any better because they all can do it the same level. So, you know, or other things like um, um, a bump, uh, the classic uh, Heinlein uh, bump of direction where, you know, you, you always know where north is, oh, even yeah, if you're yeah. underground. You know, even if you were asleep for a while, you stand up, you know where north is. How can you do that? You just can't, you know, uh, being able to uh, speak backwards. You know, there's, I mean, you could theoretically train to do it, but there's people that are just talented in that area. They just do it, you know. So that's, that. those that, feats are good for that, and, and I think a game system that doesn't have it a lot of times can benefit from it. Yeah, you mentioned feats, and I put it as feats, talents, knacks. Now, of course, OGL, Pathfinder, D&D 3.0, 3.5, feats are everything. And you have, it's an immeasurable amount of feats because everybody comes out with feats for their setting. You have feats that cover abilities. You have feats that cover setting specific stuff like, oh, it's an Arctic setting, so you have um, Snowbound, which means when dealing in Arctic environments, you get like a plus two to your survival and your knowledge uh, nature because you know about how the natural environment is and how to react in it. So, I mean, feats with the setting, I mean, you have to look at it and say, okay, I'm bringing my fantasy person to the modern day and they're in like a noir city setting, like, you know, good batman is just that gritty dark back alley setting but you're bringing a fantasy wizard in so you're trying to find feats that would or talents or knacks that a wizard like that would have things that would probably have to do with intelligence and memory and and retention of memory would be good attention to detail so in a way a wizard might be like that noir detective because a wizard has to have that keen intellect for studying spells so he might make a pretty decent detective because let's say he has attention to detail you get like mm-hmm. a plus two when you're searching for clues to your sight role because a vamp or a vampire i don't know where that came from man wow i'm really mixing my genres now a wizard would have to know that because if he doesn't have attention to detail a spell could get messed up so right. translating over like that you would just need to eyeball, okay, what type of knacks and talents and feats would this wizard character now have now that I'm remaking it in the rules for this noir, gritty, inner-city campaign? And it just, like, talents and knacks would be like danger sense. The person just always seems to have this spider-sense-like feeling whenever somebody's about to attack them and they get that extra boost to agility or perception or where they just aren't going to get hit by something as easy. Now, I remember in the hero system, danger sense was what they called a talent. It wasn't a skill. It wasn't a superpower. They had this whole chapter of just these certain things that normal humans can do, but they were still rare. You either had it or you didn't. You couldn't train in it. It was just there or it wasn't. And eyeballing to see what... Now, it may end up being... And, of course, you have to deal with terminology. 
let's say it would be a low-level psychic power in one setting, but in this other setting it would be a knack. Oh, you have it or you don't. I mean, it's just, you know, like gumshoes have it because they walk into dangerous situations all the time. Even though in your world, that type of danger sense would be considered a psychic power. So you'd have to say, okay, well, in this new noir world, okay, fine, he has it because... He has this gift for detecting when someone is about to attack him. Again, the wizard be, ended up kind of like a PI just because of their their mental acuity. Now, talking about the wizard going to a noir setting, this one, this next point of mine, is probably the hardest one to do. And that would be power spells and what D20 Modern calls FX abilities. The things like flight, x-ray vision, super strength. Things that we would consider probably superpowers or spells if they're from a magical source where you have to take the time to speak and move your hands and pull out the material components okay we'll call them spells but that can be the hardest one to do especially if the new setting you're in doesn't have them like bruce mentioned earlier let's say you take that wizard and you put him in a twilight 2000 campaign from what i heard of that game it was normal humans with supplies and weapons and they're going through a post-apocalyptic earth russia Russia, yeah. Needless to say, there was, from what I understand the game, there was no spell casting. So if you wanted to sit there and make your wizard and have them all, okay, we're going to Twilight 2000. You would either have to come up with a homebrew magic system, refer to our previous episodes on that, or really honk off your player and nerf them saying, well, in this world, magic doesn't work. I mean, it's kind of a cop-out, but I mean, the wizard would still have his physical and mental acuity, he just would lose his spells, which for most spellcasting classes, that's why you take it. It's like, I don't want, I can play a smart guy and, you know, not be a spellcaster. I want to do it because I want to throw a fireball, you know. And if you have, you know, if you're trying to translate powers and abilities, as the saying goes, beyond those of mortal men, you're going to need to come up with something if the setting doesn't allow it now fantasy to a superhero game there are mages and superheroes all superhero settings all the time dr strange making a fantasy wizard and turning him into a modern day superhero setting that's not all that hard at that point you're just gonna have to worry about the mechanics of the spells let's say on this world fireballs don't do quite as much damage as they do back in the fantasy setting fine you can just chalk that up to you know, like how D&D does impeded magic. Certain worlds have, an, or certain planes have impeded magic based on certain spells. Like the Shadow Plane, any spells with light or fire considered impeded, where you have to make a spellcraft check in order to even cast it. And if you do, it's at ha like half power. Something like that. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.